Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Well, for years, the church has done what we are doing this morning. For centuries, the church has gathered to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What the Bible says is that without the resurrection, our faith is futile. It's pointless. It's worth nothing. But that with the resurrection, we have a life-altering, realm-changing, life-transforming message. And that's the impact that we celebrate each Easter. Death has plagued humanity from the very beginning. And the resurrection gives us confidence that one day death will end forever. We, the Bible says in Romans chapter eight, are groaning right along with creation for newness, for life. And this new life is possible because of Jesus. His resurrection is the first resurrection. But we expect the resurrection of God's people and God's planet one day. In a sense, I think you could say that Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday for Christians is like all the major holidays rolled into one. I mean, Easter is like Christmas for us in that it's the day that we celebrate the incredible gift of salvation that God won for us. Christmas or uh, Easter is like Thanksgiving in that it's the day that represents our ability to thank God in any station of life for what he has done in sending his only begotten son to rescue us. Easter is like our Independence Day, our 4th of July, where we're able to declare that when we were held captive by sin and death, Jesus came and rescued us and made a way for us to be independent, set free. I think you could say that Easter Sunday is like Father's Day in that because of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, we gain a father in heaven. I think you could even say that Easter is like Mother's Day in that in Easter, when you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you trust him and his gospel, you are birthed into a family of God. You get brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. I would go so far as to say that Easter Sunday is like Labor Day in that we get to celebrate that we have ceased from our labors of trying to earn our salvation, but that it's been given to us by God to enter into the rest that Jesus supplies. I might even say that it's like our Valentine's Day because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But I think one of my favorite connections is that Easter for a Christian is like New Year's Day. You know, there's something about New Year's Day where you're able to reflect and say, God stood with me over this past year. It's a fresh year. It's a fresh moment. And for me, as a Christian, every Easter, I'm able to look back on my previous year's walk with God. I'm able to remember God's faithfulness to me. And as I gather together with my church family and 
see the faces and remember the stories of the different things that many of you have gone through this last year. I'm seeing the faithfulness of God. God has been good. God has stood with us. So in a sense, it's a way for us to say life is forever new. God has stood with us every year of our lives because of the great resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, when Jesus came, he often talked about the coming of his kingdom. And he gave us glimpses of that kingdom through the way that he lived. Uh, He healed sickness and disease. It was a way to communicate that in his forever kingdom, there is no room for sickness and disease or injury and infirmity. He removed shame from people. He removed brokenness. He overthrew the powers of darkness. He confronted evil and injustice. He pulled in far off people groups. He spoke with clarity and conviction. And Jesus brought truths that man had hidden back into the light. And of course, Jesus loved. All of these elements were characteristics, are characteristics of his kingdom that he said was at hand. And with his resurrection, that kingdom was unleashed upon the world so that all who trust in Jesus can experience his kingdom today in part and in the future in full force. But you have to imagine that at the cross, while Jesus was dying, the disciples might have wondered if all of those beautiful things about Jesus were coming to an abrupt end. Would all the love and power and grace and conviction and truth and victory that Jesus exemplified die with him on the cross? Was it all over? Would Jesus be lost to history? A great man who had a good run, but now with his life ending, his story is over and complete. Would Calvary's cross be the utter end of Jesus' run? As Christians here today, we're declaring not at all. Because of a power deeper than death, resurrection power, our Lord's burial in that tomb was not an end, but a glorious new beginning. And I wanna declare to you today that Jesus' resurrection set off an avalanche of events that lands all the way on your doorstep this morning. What happened to Jesus, in other words, has life-shaking implications for what can happen to you today. Better yet, if you've trusted in Jesus, his resurrection has already unalterably altered your very being. Right now, because of what happened to Jesus, something massive happened to you. And that's what the passage that I just read to you this morning is about. It tells us that something radical happened to Jesus And in turn, something radical happened to us. So today, I just want to ask two questions of these verses. What happened to Jesus, number one, and what happened to us? Okay, what happened to Jesus? You know, behind the scenes, when Jesus was going through everything that he went through and the hours leading up to the cross, what was occurring? Was there anything happening behind the scenes? When they arrested Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, when they put him through his illegal trials in the evening at the hands of the religious leaders, when they brought him before Pontius Pilate early in the morning, when they convinced Pilate to give the edict to crucify him, what was happening behind the scenes, if anything? 
when Jesus was pinned to that cross for six hours, naked in total suffering and agony, both physically, but more importantly, spiritually and psychologically and emotionally. What was happening in that moment? And when Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus, wrapped him in linen cloth and buried him in his family's tomb, was there anything more than what you could see in the physical realm occurring? And on the first day of the week, that Sunday morning, when the women went to the tomb and saw that it was empty and Mary Magdalene had an encounter with the risen Lord and he began appearing to hundreds of his disciples after appearing to her, what was happening? What was occurring in the mind and heart of God? Well, this passage tells us that two major things happened to Jesus through his death and resurrection. The first one is simple. It says in verse 10 that Jesus, on the cross, in his death, he died to sin. He died to sin. Now, to understand what it means that Jesus died to sin, we have to understand first what sin even is. A lot of times we merely think of sin as maybe doing the wrong thing, uh, having the wrong thought or the wrong action or the wrong desire. But in the story of the Bible, sin is presented as even bigger than just that. It's presented as the realm that humanity lives in right now. It generates an impulse within humanity to live without God, leading to individual sins of various kinds. But in its singular form, it describes a dimension a dimension that is void of God, that is filled with brokenness and hurt. God and his effects aren't as clearly experienced in this realm as they would be without it. In other words, in the Bible, God is presented as bringing life and light and love, but sin is the thing that produces death and darkness and division. God is the one who generates health and joy and freedom but sin creates shame, separation, and slavery. Sin is the factor that holds humanity captive to self-serving interests. It creates an ever-present element of war and hostility. It pits some against others. It generates confusion, anxiety, or depression. And it wraps us up in the bitter feeling that we will never find true satisfaction. Always searching, always longing for more. And inside of sin's realm that I'm describing to you is death. Death is, in the Bible, depicted as the ultimate power principle in sin's domain. Now, when we think of death, we normally think of our bodies physically expiring. And it is that, but in the Bible, it is so much more. Death is also seen as a relational event. Relationships hurt and broken by sin. Death is also expressed as emotional death, souls and psyches damaged and pained by sin. And death is also seen in the Bible as spiritual, our ability to know and live in harmony with God destroyed by sin. So the pinnacle power of sin is death. And our passage tells us that on the cross, Jesus died once and for all to that realm. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus departed the very realm of sin. It says in verse 9, death no longer has dominion over him. 
What this means is that when Jesus died on the cross, sin and death lost their presence and their impact in Jesus's life. What I want to remind you of is that the human life that Jesus lived, that that he voluntarily experienced, it was not an easy life. It was a life filled with more than likely much more sorrow and agony and heartache and pain than you or I have ever endured. In fact, the kind of life that Jesus lived was the type of life that attracted the offshoots of death. Disease and sickness and demonic darkness was attracted to Jesus. He experienced the most brutal of temptations in the wilderness, the pressures upon him so immense. You or I might be concerned about someone's well-being, but he was concerned about the well-being of the entirety of humanity. The Bible calls Jesus a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. When Jesus came and lived the life that he lived, he lived it inside of the realm of sin and death. He never sinned, of course, but he was affected by it. He lived within it. But the Bible is telling us here that when Jesus died on the cross, he died to that realm. But the second major thing that happened to Jesus when he died and rose is simply this. Paul said, the life he lives, he lives to God. What does that mean to say that the life that Jesus now lives in his resurrected form, he lives to God? Well, I'll tell you first what it can't mean. It can't mean that Jesus began living for God only after his resurrection. Like before he died on the cross, before he rose from the dead, Jesus was like, you know what, it's all about me or it's all about some other thing and I'm not gonna live my life for my father in heaven. No, they actually asked Jesus one time what his life was about and he said, I always live to do that which pleases the father. And nobody argued with Jesus. Every time they tried to find sin in him, they came up empty-handed. Jesus lived his life for God before his death and burial and resurrection. So when it says that he now lives to God, it can't mean that he started living for God only after he rose from the dead. Now, what this indicates is that in some fresh new way, After Jesus rose, something occurred. He had a new freshness, an ability to live to God. Now, when Paul said the life he lives, he lives to God, he meant that the resurrection brought Jesus into a new realm. Well, on earth, he was in the realm of sin and death, but through his resurrection, he now lives in the realm of God. He left the territory of sin and death. They no longer have any power over him, no no influence upon him. He is completely in the sphere, the realm of God, so much so that it is the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, in perfect and total harmony with the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, influenced by the third person of the Trinity, God the Spirit, for God is one. That's how much in the realm of God Jesus is. And I should point out that this risen state that Jesus is in today, it's unalterable. He said in Revelation 1 verse 18, I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. He's not going to come back to die again. 
He says in verse nine, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. And in verse 10, Paul said, Jesus died once for all. In other words, Jesus's position outside the sphere of sin and death is permanent. He's had a total location change. Uh, Maybe a way to illustrate this would be to picture someone who's been imprisoned for many years being set free, and now they're living a brand new life in a totally different sphere. Jesus, of course, did nothing to be imprisoned, but he voluntarily came to us and lived in this broken place. But through his resurrection, he has now been set free from this dimension and is living in the dimension of God. So what happened to Jesus almost 2,000 years ago? Well, he died to sin, Paul tells us, and he became alive to God. That's Jesus's experience at this very moment. He is totally and finally separated from sin's realm and is totally and finally enjoying life as the son of God before Father God with the spirit of God. All right, so the second question I wanted to ask today from this passage is what happens to us? What happens to us? Is there anything about Easter? Is there anything about this passage and Easter that has something to say to us that might inspire or guide or inform or help our lives in any tangible way? Uh, I once heard advice uh, that someone gave on how to build an about page on a website. If you have a product or a company or are a person, a a public figure of some type, uh, they said that when you're creating your about page, you shouldn't just have a long, boring, autobiographical thing describing what you have done in your life and your history and all of that. They said what people are looking for is what you will do for them. So instead, on the about page, make it not about you, but about what you will do for them because that's what they really want to know. In a similar way, I think we might be present here today. We know intuitively that we should celebrate the resurrection. We know that it's a big deal for the Christian faith. We know that it's a big deal for our own relationship with God. But this passage tells us one of the most astounding and unbelievable things that Jesus' resurrection does for us. To me, it's Paul's strategically oriented about page saying this is what Christ has done so that he could do this for and to you. And what he tells us, what he tells us is that what happened to Jesus is what happens to you when you trust Jesus. I'll say that again. He he says in this passage that what happened to Jesus is what happened in the mind of God to you when you trusted Jesus. Paul goes to great lengths to try to make this clear. In verse 11 alone, he starts it by saying, so you also. He's talking all about Jesus' experience. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose from the dead. So you also. It's part of his way of saying, this also happened to you if you believed in Jesus. Then he says also, again, in only verse 11, you must consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God, just like Jesus is dead to sin and alive to God. 
And then also in verse 11, he told us that this is true because by faith we are, he says, in Christ Jesus. How do you become dead to sin and alive to God? You enter into Christ Jesus. It's not through church attendance. It's not through memorizing prayers. It's not through good works. It's not through being a decent person. It comes because you've been transferred into Christ Jesus by believing in the message of the gospel. And that's only what Paul said in verse 11. In the entire surrounding passage, Paul went to great lengths to make sure we understood our connection, our vital connection to Jesus. In verse eight, he said, we have died with Christ. Before that, in verse five, he said, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. All through the passage, eight times he uses the words with and like to describe our experience. He means that we experience something with Jesus and something like Jesus by simple faith in him. In fact, in the first 14 verses of Romans chapter six, Paul made 20 references to crucifixion or death or burial, and 15 references to resurrection or life. And over half of those references are about you and me if we believed in Jesus. So Paul is going overboard to explain. We, if we believed in Jesus, have had the same thing that happened to Jesus happen to us. We are dead to sin and alive to God. There's an episode early in the Gospel of Mark that I love so much. It's where a leper comes to Jesus. Leprosy in that culture and in that society was considered not just a physical infirmity, but a spiritual problem. So the leper didn't come to Jesus and say, can you heal me? He'd already been healing people of all sorts of illnesses by that point in the Gospel of Mark. But the leper came to Jesus with a different request. He said, Lord, you can make me clean. That's what he wanted. He wanted not just to be healed, it would include that, but he wanted Jesus to make him clean before God. He wanted there to be an ability to approach God, to know God, to experience God. Now, in that culture, if you were to touch a leper, you were considered unclean, at least for a period of time. The uncleanness of the leper would be transferred to you. But the interesting thing in Jesus' life in that story is that Jesus reached out and touched the man, and the man became healed, and the man became clean. In other words, it is Jesus transferring his cleanness to the man. And as I think of that story, I think it depicts what we're talking about here so well. When you believe and trust in Jesus, it's as if his cleanness, his holiness, his righteousness, his personhood, his identity, it becomes yours. It is transferred to you so that when God sees you, he sees you as clean as he sees his only begotten son. What happened to Jesus happened to us by faith. So if we've trusted in Christ, we have been radically changed. You know, when Moses crossed the Red Sea, all of Israel crossed the Red Sea with him. When Joshua entered into the promised land, all of Israel 
entered into the promised land with him. When David slayed Goliath, all of Israel was victorious over Goliath with him. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, all who believe in him receive the same victory and identity that belongs to him. We are dead to sin and alive to God. Now at this point, some of you might be slightly troubled. You might be saying to yourself, what does it mean though that I, if I'm a Christian, a Christian am dead to sin and alive to God? I think, I think intuitively we feel or maybe even hope that this isn't about our present day experience. Surely Paul isn't saying, if you're a Christian, you'll never sin. You're dead to sin. And you'll always feel very close to God because you're alive to God. Because if we're honest, we know that often our experience is opposite that truth or that reality. You know, this morning I got up really early. It's Easter Sunday after all, and I'm working today. And uh, I got up early and, uh, you know, I like to start my days with a, with a little time reading the Bible, a little time in prayer. And so, you know, uh, even though I got a lot to do today, I really don't feel like I get a pass on Easter Sunday. Like Jesus rose from the dead, so I don't have to read my Bible. I thought I probably should do that. So I got up early and I sat down at my kitchen table and uh, you know, I've been working through some things with my vocal cords lately, so I knew it'd be a long day of preaching, and so I have this steamer that I turn on, and, and I connect it to my face, and I start steaming. And so I'm sitting there trying to read my Bible. I'm at a stage of life where I need glasses to read it, uh, but the steamer creates so much moisture in the glasses that I have to try to read my Bible without my glasses. I also woke up with this pounding headache. And so I'm sitting there trying to read my Bible with steam all over the place. And my eyes hurt, my head hurts. And I'll tell you what, uh, the last thing I would say is, I feel so alive to God right now. <laughs> and I feel so dead to sin right now. Now that's not the way I felt at all. I'm sure many of us would have hundreds of those experiences in life where we feel I'm very much in the realm of sin and death. And I feel very far from the realm of God and being close with him. That can't be what Paul meant, that we would never sin or that we would always be godly. If that's what Paul meant, it would fly in the face of his own writings and the rest of the Bible. It would fly in the face of our own experiences. And it would also ruin the comparison that Paul is trying to make between us and Jesus. You see, when Jesus left the realm of sin, it wasn't Jesus all of a sudden becoming holy. He was holy before and he was holy after. So it can't mean for us that because we're dead to sin, we are somehow, we used to be unholy, but now we are. And when Jesus was on earth, he was in fellowship with God. He went out every morning to spend time with his Father in heaven. It can't mean that when Jesus rose from the dead, all of the sudden, he began to be able to pray. No, Paul isn't saying that when we believe in Jesus, we all of the sudden are free from all sins and always only godly. Nor is he 
advocating for wishful thinking. He's not saying, pretend that you're dead to sin. Pretend that you're alive to God. When people ask you at church today how it's going, put on your holiest smile that you got and be like, oh, brother, I'm doing so good. Jesus is great, you know, kind of thing. Now, what he's saying is that we have been transferred with Jesus from the realm of sin's power to life with God, positionally before God, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, All Christians are dead to sin and alive to God. The moment you become a Christian, you are no longer, in other words, under the reign or ruling power or in the realm of sin and are transferred into God's realm, whether you feel that way or not. I'm gonna ask you to forgive me for this illustration ahead of time. I try not to use many sports illustrations, and I especially try not to use many Los Angeles Dodgers uh, illustrations because they're my guys. And uh, one of my best friends plays for the Dodgers. His name is Clayton Kershaw. He's a, a pitcher. He doesn't know me, but I, uh, we're, we're really close. He's a, he's a great pitcher, and he's been with them for many years. He's actually a believer. And uh, he's had a great career, but he's always kind of struggled a little bit uh, in the postseason, during the playoffs. He's had some heartbreaking moments. And in 2020, uh, the Dodgers actually won the world championship. And one of my favorite memories of that moment was watching the elation on his face. It was like a monkey was off his back. He had finally won the championship. And I I actually, I'm I'm, I'm not embarrassed to admit, I got a little choked up. I got a little emotional in that moment, just feeling what I felt for him. And you know how we are, if if you're a sports person, you feel like when they won, you won. You feel like, I'm 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 on the team, you know, we we won this together. But but here's the thing, Uh, if they were honest with us, they'd say, bro, you're, you're not on the team. <laughs> you're, you're not on the team at all. You, you help fund the team. <laughs> we appreciate the contribution. It's nice to be able to make our living doing this because you're there buying tickets and outfits and you pretend like you're one of us because you wear our jerseys and everything, but you're not on our team. <laughs> the thing about Jesus is that when he died and rose from the dead, winning the ultimate victory over sin and death, when you place your simple faith in him, he doesn't say, oh, that's just a vicarious victory that you are from afar pretending to connect with. He says, no, you're on this team. It is if when I died, your old nature, your old ways, all your old sins, they died with me right there on the cross. And when I came alive and began to live before God and was transferred into that realm, that is the realm that you are in right now. You are alive to God and he loves you and wants you to know him and experience him. The way that God sees it is that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature Old has passed away and new has come. So even though as Christians we often succumb to temptation, God sees us as dead to sin and alive to him. Even though there will be countless moments where we feel 
that we're very far from God and close to sin. Jesus has made us dead to sin and alive to God. Even though we often struggle to find meaningful change and transformation in our lives and wonder if God is working in us at all, we are dead to sin and alive to God. And even though there are thousands of moments where we feel like we're swimming in evil and God is galaxies away, we are, according to God's word, dead to sin and alive to God. We are, if we believed in Jesus today, positionally, categorically, fundamentally changed. We're in a new realm, the realm of God. Something has drastically changed about us. Now, Paul recognizes that this is hard for us to believe. That's why in verse 11, he said, so we must also consider ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. We have to preach this message to ourselves. And it's this consideration process that makes the glory of the resurrection of Jesus so impactful and beautiful for life today. We have to pause to consider who we are because of who Jesus is. I was recently watching on YouTube the uh, press conference of this last year's National Basketball Association slam dunk champion, Max McClung, after he won the, the, uh, the slam dunk contest. He, he had only played five games in the NBA, but he's an incredible dunker, so they brought him up for this contest. Uh, people don't think he has much of a future even in the NBA, but they brought him up for this contest, and he won. He, he dominated the whole event. Just this super young guy. Nobody knew his name before this day, and they, they asked him in the press conference. They said, Mac, Mac, how do you feel right now? And his answer was so interesting. He basically said, I don't even know how I feel. I haven't gone to read social media yet. <laughs> it's an interesting response. I think it was kind of his way of saying, this hasn't even settled in. And when I go online, it's going to help me settle in. It's going to make it all sink in. But at first glance, it kind of read or sounded like, I don't know how to feel. They'll tell me how to feel. I don't know how to feel, but when I read that, I'll know how to feel. When I heard that, I thought, you know, there's actually a little bit of wisdom in that statement. Not that as a Christian, we find out who we are and how to feel from a source like that. But we go to passages like these and we discover no matter how I feel, no matter how far from God I feel, no matter how alive to sin I feel, what the Bible says is that if I have trusted in Christ, I am dead to sin and alive to God. And I will consider it to be so. And that's one of the great things that Jesus's resurrection has done for us. Amen? Let's pray together, church. Lord, we thank you for this radical truth. And Lord, as I talked about earlier, so many of us, we just look back on the last year and we see your hand of faithfulness upon our lives. You have been so, so good. Every trial that we grew fearful in, 
every moment where we didn't know what to do, every stress, every pressure, Lord, you have been good. You have been faithful. And Lord, we thank you for this radical change that has happened in us because of your only begotten son. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for another Easter. And as we're all praying, I want to talk to those of you who don't know Jesus yet. He's not yet become part of your life. And what I want you to know is that he lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. And then he died a death on the cross that was meant to be a replacement death for us. He took in all the judgment and punishment that was rightfully ours into his body on that cross. We know that God the Father accepted that sacrifice because Jesus rose from the dead. And the Bible says that it is not enough to admire Jesus. It is not enough to attend a church. The Bible says that the only thing that can save is you throwing your trust, your faith upon Jesus to save you. Asking him to forgive you, asking him like that leper to cleanse you. And if this morning you would like to invite him to do just that, to accept that incredible gift today, then I'd invite you to pray from your heart right now. You can pray something like this if you'd like. You can say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Come into my life and make me new. Thank you for sending Jesus to live the perfect life I couldn't live and to die a death I deserved and for raising him back to life. Give me new life today. Forgive me of all I've ever done and will do. And help me now to live my life for you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we rejoice in you this morning and we pray that you would now strengthen us for another year walking with you. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.